folks, you're tuned in to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM. As you know, the Kingston Canadian Film Festival is underway and has had some amazing films premiere already and this friday march 5th we have an awesome local film um, being premiered at 7 p.m est how to fix radios produced by some really awesome youth here in the kingston area so today with me in our virtual studio i have casper leonard and james redden and they're going to talk with me about the film how to fix radios and just their whole experience so far as young filmmakers so let's welcome casper and James to CFRC 101.9 FM. Before you jump into the interview, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourselves? Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Casper Leonard, and uh, I'm the co-writer, co-director uh, on How to Fix Radios, uh, and uh, I'm a freelance videographer uh, and photographer, and um, I'm 18 years old. I'm James Rudden, uh, and I play Evan in the film. Um, and I am uh, a worker at the uh, Boys and Girls Club and uh, I love film so much, yeah. Awesome. Um, so as I said, you have, um, you know, this film at Kingston Canadian Film Festival this year, How to Fix Radios, that's um, premiering on Friday, March 5th. So um, Maybe like more so a question for you, Casper, um, like where did the inspiration sort of come from for this film and what do you kind of seek to convey from it as well? Uh, I, I was just sort of, I guess I was reflecting on um, sort of my youth and how I grew up in the environment I grew up in as, you know, I was kind of nearing the age where teenagehood ble bleeds into adulthood. And, mm -hmm. and so I was kind of reflecting back on, um, the, the, the environments and the situations that kind of made me who I am. And from that, and also from watching some films that inspired me, particular, particularly uh, Tangerine, directed by Sean uh, Baker, I, I, I think. Um, and uh, that, that film kind of inspired me to look at how uh, growing up queer in a rural setting uh, affected me. Um, that film is completely different. It's set in... Uh, California, but the interaction between um, queer people was something that I was interested in and how those interactions um, shaped me. Um, so that sort of sparked the idea of film. I kind of just want to convey my story, really, and uh, all of our stories, you know, uh, and sort of just to show a different perspective. I guess um, also, like, James, if you kind of want to speak to that question a little bit, too, just in regards to, like, through your acting and stuff like that, and maybe, like, the character you play, what do you kind of hope to convey from um, the whole performance and just, like, the experience itself? Yeah. Um, well, uh, working on it, going into it, it, it was, it was um, you know, very daunting um, task. Um, and you know, I sort of, you know, struggled with, you know, both um, creating a memorable character, um, memorizing all my lines um, at the same time. And in regards to the character aspect, um, uh, throughout the production, I think I, I grew closer to the character of Evan. So Evan, he's basically a uh, a redneck uh, kind of, uh, but not your typical redneck um, that you might think um, of. And 
through the film, it kind of, you kind of see that his uh, sexuality is, is sort of um, put in question and, um, you know, shows that like he's not just entirely like, you know, this uh, hockey boy or like, like with that persona. And um, I, I sort of felt like that character spoke to me um, as well. Um, sort of coming into this world with all these beautiful people and talented people. And, you know, what, what I hope that people would get from what I was trying to put out would be, you know, a don't judge a book by its cover, right? Um, and also just like, just love and acceptance, you know, empathy, for yeah. no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Definitely, that's a really great answer. Um, and, you know, with this film, um, I was reading that you actually like made it last summer, like in accordance with COVID-19 protocols and stuff. And I was just wondering, how was that like a different experience from your typical, I guess, non-COVID affected films or projects that you've perhaps worked on before? Like what was the experience filming, you know, during a pandemic and making sure you kind of were being safe and following all these different guidelines? How was that? Um, I think that if I were to put it in one, two words, it would be more stress because, you know, you have an added layer of having to follow the guidelines, but also make sure that everyone's safe at the same time. And from uh, the production end of things, which I took a big lead on, um, that was really hard because you had to make sure that everyone understood uh, that, you know, they were safe and that they were cared for and that we were keeping an eye on the situation. But it also really did help that... Um, KFLMA, the public health uh, ministers and everything did such a fantastic job this entire time. And our mm -hmm. case numbers in the summer were really low, which helped us a lot. And every single day we'd check the tracker to make sure that, you know, things hadn't exploded and, and uh, we were kind of in pandemonium. But um, yeah, it was just, it was more stressful. We really had to keep an eye on things and make sure that everyone self-screened and everything like that. But it, uh, since we were filming outside a lot of the time, it, it, that helped as well. It, there were some parts in which it was like it didn't feel very different, but there were uh, other parts in which it was very different to a, a typical film set, uh, just in terms of the COVID precautions and, uh, you know, worrying about that in the back of your mind on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. It was, I, I felt personally very safe with these people because, you know, I knew them and I, I knew that they would take this very seriously. And, you know, obviously I wanted to do this project and, um, from knowing that, I, I, I just sort of felt like we could push through it. And, you know, we did. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Um, yeah, and it's so cool that you've been able to kind of work on this um, and film it during COVID and kind of like have a pretty first, like a pretty fast turnaround, I guess, too. Like if you started filming mm -hmm. in the summer, like it didn't even take a year to kind of, um, I guess, like do all the production and editing and whatnot, which is really um, impressive. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really, well, I think that part of the reason for that was that I basically took on the role of a full-time full film editor because Ooh, okay. uh, I, I'm, I'm not in school, I'm not in post-secondary, so I was able to just completely devote myself to it, um, which if I had been, you know, working or in school, I don't think that we would have, I don't think it would have been finished, honestly. Mm -hmm, yeah, but it's really awesome that you were able to do that and have it premiere at KCFF, which is a really amazing opportunity, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I would think I was also reading up that you've also had um, 
like short films at KCFF before. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, I've had a couple short films uh, in uh, the youth shorts program at KCFF in the past. Um, uh, one of them I won a jury award for, uh, The Avalanche. <laughs> I think it was 20, 2018, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I co-directed Russell Act won the Youth Shorts uh, Jury Award last year for a film called Castles in Spain. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, KCFF is not completely new to you and stuff. Um, but, you know, like you said, those were short films. So um, if this is your first feature, how is that kind of like a different experience compared to working on a short film? Yeah, so, well, since we're not like a, <laughs> we didn't have like a, you know, a large budget we had, it was just under $2,000. So it was a, basically what they would uh, call like a no budget film. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, it, there wasn't a ton of stuff that felt different to being on set in a short film uh, production. But there was a lot of different things, uh, like minor details that were really different. Um, and, and, you know, like we were a lot more serious about it, <laughs> I think, um, because every day we had to get on set and be like, okay, we're doing this and uh, we're not gonna, you know, fool around here in any way. And, mm -hmm. and we're gonna, we're gonna stick to our guns. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, we kind of did think about it at, in the beginning of like, okay, if we think about this, like we're filming a bunch of different short films because that's the only thing we've done before, it might right. uh, be a little bit easier. And so we kind of blocked it out like that, like we're filming this part of the script and that's sort of a complete, completed part and then this part. Um, so our experience uh, with short films really helped us in that aspect. Definitely uh, memorization. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, look, I'm, I'm not very good with memorization, but I, you know, on this film, I, I put it to myself to work twice as hard as, you know, I had worked on really anything prior. Um, and I knew because this wasn't a film that we were in school that the greater importance to, to Casper and Emily and everybody else involved. Um, and I wanted to show that I could, you know, step up to the plate and, uh, you know, do my part. Um, but, you know, with that, you know, um, the cast crew, like Casper, like, I knew them and I knew that they were like very good people. So there was a lot of support on set too, uh, a lot more support um, probably because there wasn't really any time constrictions um, like because I wasn't in school. Yeah. But to that point, it also felt like we had to push ourselves mm -hmm. um, in creating our own time because there wasn't a specific timeline. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what can both of you kind of tell us about the film itself if people don't really know too much? And what should people also look forward to or kind of expect from How to Fix Radios? Yeah, so, um, you know, How to Fix Radios is a story about um, a shy kind of introverted kid, Evan, who uh, is also sort of immersed in this rural culture because that's all he's ever known. Uh, and he applies for a job in the summer. Uh, at a bait shop and um, upon arriving there, he discovers that his supervisor is this kid named Ross and he has this pink hair and sort of this exuberant personality and style and just something that's kind of out of place for Evan. Uh, and so upon seeing this kid and sort of getting to know him, 
um, Evan sort of stumbles into this world that uh, that the supervisor Ross uh, has um, going on in the background involving himself and his sister and uh, the son of the owner of the bait shop, who's this ultra drug dealer character. Uh, and through that, he sort of uh, expands his worldview and uh, mm -hmm. sort of opens up from being a little bit closed-minded into being able to see this broader world at play. Mm -hmm. Sounds very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess just a nice little lighthearted last question, um, second last question. Um, you know, so far as, um, you know, filmmakers, directors, actors, um, what's kind of been like the most um, interesting or rewarding project that you've been able um, to do? And also, um, since you're both pretty young too, like what are you kind of looking forward to like in the future with your career um, in this field, if that's what you're kind of like pushing for? Yeah, I think that this um, film has been the most rewarding, not even film project, but project that I've done ever. Um, I have gotten so much joy out of it. Um, there's been a lot of struggle, but that struggle just makes the payoff feel even better. And we put in a lot of hard work and uh, just sort of pushing through everything. So to see it come into fruition and to see those themes that meant so much to me be seen on screen and to see this little tiny vision I had in my head actually be a, a tangible product is mm -hmm. something that I just can't put into words. It's beyond me uh it's almost a i'd say it's almost a religious experience to see something like that come into creation it's just it's beyond me really um and so i think that it's definitely been the best project i've ever done in my life and uh you know the the passion of my life is filmmaking um and something that i'm just so indebted to i think because it has taught me so much about myself uh, and going forward uh, I'm kind of, you know, since I am young, I am I, I am a little bit lost into as to what I need to do. But um, I'm writing a script right now, another one, and uh, I, I would just love do nothing but make movies for the rest of my life. Um, and so that that's really what what my goal is and where I'm headed to is just making movies. Mm -hmm. But James, my you want to say something? I would wholeheartedly agree with literally everything <laughs> you just said about um, you know our film. That that this has been the most fulfilling and incredible experience, um, you know, my life. And to see the final product was just absolutely insane and, and so amazing. I just, I, I don't really have any words that could describe the, the joy I felt when seeing it. Um, and, you know, I too would hope to continue uh, in film for just the rest of my life. Um, I'd want to, you know, expand to, you know, not just acting, you never know. And um, actually just recently, uh, I finished uh, a film for um, my mother's organization, uh, The Poverty Challenge, where it was a bunch of interviews with people living in poverty in Canada. Um, and yeah, I, I just finished it yesterday and it should be up on uh, their website. I think it's thepovertychallenge.ca awesome. very soon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, is there, um, you know, anything else that you, um, either if you would like to um, add before we end off? Um, I think I'd just like to probably just plug the film uh, and say that you can see it at KCFF on March 
March 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There's going to be a Q&A at 8.40 with myself and my uh, co-director, co-writer, Emily Russell. So make sure to stick around for that. Uh, tickets are around $15 Canadian, uh, and you just go to the KCFM website and you can see uh, how to fix radios on their list of films and you can purchase a ticket through there yeah um thank you um you know go out and you know look at the you know issues like lgbtq plus rights for yourself you know educate yourself about this um this is really important stuff you know mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, no, thank you so much um, for joining me today um, and talking about this film. I'm super excited um, to watch it myself and stuff and just to kind of see um, just how amazing it is because it sounds amazing based on this conversation we had and now I'm even more um, amped up for it. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi folks, you're tuned into The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM. We just had an interview with Casper Leonard and James Rudden about the film How to Fix Radios premiering at KCFF um, this Friday, March 5th at 7pm. So don't forget to go to kingcanfilmfest.com and buy your tickets. Only $12 plus fee, so that's really awesome. And it's amazing to just support um, local Kingston artists, especially youth artists. Um, just a COVID update for you folks today. Um, we only have nine active cases of COVID-19 in the KFLNA region, which is really great. Um, so just remember to continue to keep staying safe, keeping our community safe and doing your part um, just to make sure that we can, you know, still kind of live in this green zone and whatnot. The Rideau Waterway Land Trust has begun a fundraising campaign to purchase an important 30-hectare property on Opinicon Lake. It is located near the historic village of Chafee's Lock in the heart of the Rideau Canal, which is Ontario's only World Heritage Site. The property is located within the Frontenac Archinesco World Biosphere Reserve and provides critical habitat for many species at risk. The Frontenac Arch also provides a land bridge that connects the boreal forest of the Canadian Shield to the forest of the Adirondack and Appalachian Mountains. This link helps to maintain genetic diversity in plant and animal life as our climate continues to undergo change. The land aboots provincially significant wetlands and is near the Queen's University Biological Station, also known as CUBES, and has been used for scientific research and education. The current owners now wish to sell the land and its acquisition in an ideal project to help the Trust celebrate its 25th year of successful operation. The property was once owned by Don and Mary Warren. Don was one of the founders of the Rideau Waterway Land Trust, an educator and activist who led the community's resistance to the plan to electrify the Rideau Canal's locks in the 1960s. And Mary was an enthusiastic supporter and was instrumental in convincing Don to purchase his property in 1965. The opportunity to establish the Warren Nature Reserve is a fitting tribute to their foresight. If RWLT is successful in this fundraising campaign, the property will be added to the land trust collection of 20 other protected properties along the Rideau Corridor between Kingston and Ottawa. They are seeking to raise $120,000 towards the $435,000 project cost by April 2021. All donations will be used to leverage matching government funding. They have a very short time frame to raise these funds, so any and all donations from our local communities would be appreciated. 
related. If you would like to learn more about this project, you can go to rwlt.org slash warren, spelled W-A-R-R-E-N. Donations can be made at rwlt.org slash donate, noting Warren property in the donation comments, and all donations will receive a charitable receipt. And if you want more information, you can just contact them or visit their website. Homeowners can take action to prevent their pro- homeowners can take action to protect their properties this spring with utilities Kingston's flood flags. If you have a basement, it's at risk of flooding and sewer backups, even if it's never flooded before. The risk is greater during spring rains and rapid snowmelt, and now's the time to be aware and take steps to protect your property, says Jim Miller, who's the chief operating officer of Utilities Kingston. Lines coming from sump pumps and downspouts may be blocked with snow and ice, and water may be dammed up against foundation walls. Here are some tips on how to prevent these common problems. You can consider installing a sump pump system to remove excess water, but make sure it drains only onto your lawn or into the storm sewer in accordance with the city's sewer use bylaw. If you already have a sump pump, check it for proper operation and follow the manufacturer's maintenance recommendations. For example, you may wish to confirm it's plugged in and working properly, check for any frozen lines that need to be thawed, consider an extra length of hose to increase the distance at which it discharges away from your foundation, and consider if your sump pump drains to the surface, the discharge point may be buried under snow and ice, so uncover it and clear a path so that the water drains away from your foundation. You can also install a backwater valve on the sanitary sewer lateral, which may help prevent backups if installed, operated, and maintained in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. And if you already have a backwater valve, if you can do so safely, you may wish to open the lid, clean it out, confirm there's a good seal in place, and test its operation. General tips, reduce your water use on rainy days. When it's raining heavily, the sewers may fill up, and using a lot of water during heavy rains can contribute to basement flooding and overflows to your environment. Pick a rainy day to walk around your property and look for places where water is pooling or getting into your home. Check your sewer lateral. Homeowners own the sewer pipe from the home's plumbing system to the property line. The sewer lateral should be regularly maintained. You can talk to a licensed plumber who can carry out an assessment. And also, talk to your insurer. Homeowners have a legal duty to make reasonable efforts to guard against damage in the event of a flood. You can learn more about flood facts at utilitieskingston.com slash floodfacts. March is Fraud Prevention Month, and as we enter March, Kingston Police and Utilities Kingston are partnering to help spread fraud prevention tips to local residences and businesses. Malicious cyber actors and scammers are quick to take advantage of high-profile events, particularly those that cause worry and concern, as with the COVID-19 virus, says Constable Ash Gunthes, Media Relations Officer with Kingston Police. As more people spend time online due to the pandemic, more scammers are targeting Canadians online, including through an increasing number of phishing attempts referencing COVID-19. You can protect yourself against malicious emails by making sure the address or attachment is relevant to the content of the email. Make sure you know the sender of an email, look for typos, and you can also use antivirus or anti-malware software on your computer. To protect yourself online against malicious attachments, make sure that the sender's email has a valid username and domain name. Be extra cautious if the email tone is incredibly urgent, and if you're not expecting an attachment, verify with the sender. And to protect yourself against malicious websites, make sure URLs are spelled correctly. Directly type the URL in the search bar instead of clicking on a provided link for you. And if you must click on a hyperlink, hover your mouse over the link to check if it actually directs to the right website.
As ever, utility customers are targets for scams at the door, over the phone, and through the internet as well. When in doubt, don't be afraid to shut the door, hang up the phone, delete the email, or close your internet connection. You can always call us to confirm the truth of any sales pitch or other claim, says Kevin McCauley, who's the Chief Customer and Technology Officer of Utilities Kingston. Kingston police receive and investigate numerous complaints regarding suspicious door-to-door salespeople, phone calls, and emails from many promotions and services. There are many other ways besides the ones that I just said to recognize, reject, and report fraud. Utilities Kingston will never ask for personal, financial, or account information in an email, and they do not place outbound calls from 1-800 numbers. Utilities Kingston employees and contractors also carry identification and you should always ask to see it. In general, just be cautious about any unsolicited calls, emails, or mailings. Like I said before, don't be afraid to shut the door, hang up the phone, delete the email, or close your internet connection. Don't disclose any personal information about your finances, bank accounts, credit cards, utility bills, social insurance, and driver's license numbers to any business that cannot prove that they are legitimate. At the door, always make sure you get a business card and look at the salesperson's ID badge first. Ask to see their city-issued license to sell door-to-door in Kingston. And remember, you have the right to ask people to leave your property. If you need to report something, don't be afraid to call Consumer Protection Ontario. If you're ever in doubt about a communication received from Utilities Kingston, you can give them a call and they can confirm it. If people refuse to leave your property or you become a victim of fraud through monetary loss, report it to the Kingston Police online or call them at 613-549-4660. The City of Kingston is recommending that Council approve an extension of the lease at 661 Montreal Street until December 31st, 2021 in order to continue operating the Integrated Care Hub and the Consumption Treatment Service. As part of the council meeting happening tomorrow, Tuesday, March 2nd, city staff will present council with the recommendation to extend the lease by five months based on the ongoing urgent need to provide this 24-7 low barrier service for vulnerable individuals who are unable to access other services. Lainey Hurdle, who is the city chief administrative officer, says that there is no question that services at the ICH have been and continue to be utilized by many people and that the ICH has filled an important gap in the community. Based on the data collected, in the absence of this continued service, there would be a significant increase in overdoses, hospital visits, people sleeping in the rough, and possibly an additional shelter required to meet the demand on vulnerable populations. The ICH has been operating at its current location at 661 Montreal Street since November 2020 as a preferred alternative to the initial pilot phase location which was at Artillery Park for the summer. The ICH is a partnership between the City of Kingston, the HIV AIDS Regional Services, HARS, and Kingston Community Health Centers, KCHC. The ICH supports clients with services that can be accessed in an environment rooted in harm reduction and trauma-informed practices. Among other things, the ICH offers counseling, support and assistance, an overnight rest zone, healthy meals three times a day, and life skills such as behavior modification workshops, self-regulation, grounding, and mediation. It has become apparent that the challenges faced by the most marginalized individuals using the ICH are not primarily related to housing or lack thereof, but rather that there is a major medical component of work, including mental health and addictions, that needs to be addressed in order to assist individuals in living and thriving in housing, concludes Lainey Hurdle. 
City staff recognize that there are challenges in the neighborhood where the ICH is located and have implemented additional security measures, including surrounding the premises with a privacy screen, installing temporary fencing along the KMP trail adjacent to Rideau Street, and the introduction of additional walkabout patrols in the neighborhood that will occur throughout the day and night, seven days a week. Staff have also completed a recent search of properties on the market that could accommodate the service, and none of the properties currently available met the required criteria. The cost of the lease and cost of operations are being proposed to be funded through the Provincial Social Services Relief Fund, both for Phase 2 and for potential additional phases, in addition to contributions from community partners and, as required, a contribution from the City Social Services Stabilization Reserve, which was established with provincial funding. Neither the lease extension nor the operations will have any impact on municipal property taxes. The ICH is one of many city services provided to support vulnerable populations given the wide range of needs and circumstances in the community. Moving forward, it will be critical for the city to secure long-term permanent funding for the ICH, which will require the financial support of other levels of government, as many services are to support issues with mental health and addictions. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM. That's all the news updates I have for you, folks. But don't go anywhere because we have more awesome programming coming up right now. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to The Scoop, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.